Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of IRC Book Club. Why is it special, Jonathan? Uh, well, we're covering a book today. I, I think it's a special one. It's got some very, very good write-ups and accolades from a few people. I'll give you some early notes. This one is from Tony Hughes, who's co-founder of Sales IQ Global. The key to success as a sales leader is making sure you have the right people in the team, that they're ex- executing with the right behaviours. Always be hiring by Jonathan Graham. Offers powerful insights and methods for improving your time to hire quality of hire, and adjusting those small habits that make a huge difference. This is a refined and efficient hands-on approach to fixing your sales hiring problems and describe what good really looks like. Read it and always be hiring and onboarding in a way that drives sustained success. That's from Tony Hughes. Jeb Blunt, he's read it. He he says... (laughs) I can't tell you how I'm laughing about because Johnny's written this book. Hiring good salespeople isn't an art, it's a science. This is exactly why you need the repeatable system and approach you'll learn in this book. Should I continue? I've got a few more. Anyway, today we're talking about... There's a dedication in here for you, Pricey. You know, I was touched. I just read that, actually. Yeah. I just saw MP that. I, I, was... Must have, I must have skipped past that, because I, I, I don't bother with the um, the initial bit. I just get straight into the juice. Yeah. For M, it's been dedicated to Michael, who has stoically put up with my madcap ideas and eccentricity without complaint for almost 20 years. So, shall we begin, Michael, on this epic odyssey? Let's. So, what's the book about, Johnny? So, the book is... Do you know what the book is, actually? I'll tell you what the book is. The book is like memoirs of a sales recruiter that's been doing it for ages. Yeah, you got it. And having seen all the terrible things that companies do, because, you know, I say this a lot. Companies, I would think 95% of them are terrible at hiring. Awful. Just awful. I mean, you so many different areas. Speed, getting the match right, not paying enough money, just every, every part of it. Well, it, in the introduction to the book, one of the things I talk about is how I started in 1997. And the point I make is, I think that people have a misperception of what the hiring market is like. I mean, I, I can only remember two times when the hiring market was tough. One was uh, after the burst of the dot-com you mean, bubble. You mean placing people, don't yeah. you? Where it was hot, where, and what I mean by tough is where... There are loads and loads of candidates and not a lot of jobs. There's only two times. But they didn't last very long. No. 2002, we had about four or five months where there were millions of candidates yeah, yeah. and no jobs. Yeah. 2009, it was carnage. But it wasn't carnage for that long. No, wasn't. No one candidate was out of the game for more than four, five, six months. Everybody got work. Yeah, completely, yeah. Everybody ended up in a job. Everybody earned a living. Only the absolute most weak, poor quality of the candidate pool ended up driving an Uber. I can't actually think of many who, who got out of IT sales because they couldn't get a job. No. I'm, str- no. I'm struggling to think of one now, actually. I don't think... There must be some. Maybe we just didn't deal with them because they were rubbish, but um, I can't actually think of any that I know. No. And I think... And, and, you know, I've become a real... Th- 
sort of economics and finance geek in the last few months as I'm getting older and my and investing money matters to me more. So I read the FT every day. And the, and the FT is getting a bit perpetually gloomy. They are predicting a bit of a crash next year. It's inevitable look at inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're predicting a bit of a crash next year. There'll be a crash and the crash will hurt tech stocks probably more than any other part of the global economy, actually, um, because so many of the tech stocks are so in, over overvalued. But the market is never, ever that bad. There's never really a time where hiring salespeople is actually that easy. Well, in a good market or, you know, in a bad market where your company's going down the swanny, what do you want to do? I've got, I've, I've got to sell my way out of it. Correct. Correct. I've got but, some way out of it. You know, if you look at a lot of these companies that have got huge amounts of VC money, a lot of those funding rounds, the 100 million here, 50 million there, a lot of those funding rounds are, yes, we'll give you 50 million. A lot of it comes in chunks. So some of it will be withheld. Yes. But a lot of it is stuff that's already in people's bank accounts. And a lot of that investment will be, listen, we gave you money. We had it. Um, can you remember the client that, that we placed a VP with? In March of 2020, we placed a VP of Amir, massive fee, in the first couple of weeks of the 2020 uh, pandemic recession. I can't actually, I'm surprised. Yeah, we, we pulled a monster fee. And at the time, they had huge amounts of investment. They're a cybersecurity company. And I, I said to the chief revenue officer, is this hire really going to happen? And he went, you, what you need to understand, mate, is the people who've put the money into this company, they want a return on their investment no matter what. Mm. Their money is in here now and they want a return. And therefore, we've got to hire salespeople and we've got to crack on. So it's going to be bad, but it's never that bad. It's always hard to hire salespeople. The salespeople always have leverage, even in the darkest depths of 2009, 2002, around the burst of the dot-com bubble. Well, well, what happens in, two, you know, what happened in 2009? Actually, candidates that were doing well kept their head down. Because their employer was the devil they knew. Correct. I remember finding it really hard to fill jobs in 2009. Yes. We didn't have that many. Yes. You'd have a job. The, client, the client's requirement would be, I want high quality. And there weren't any high quality people about. The market was just full of shite. Yeah, correct. So the point I'm making in the introduction is, it's never easy to hire people. Yet I'm never, it never ceases to amaze me how little resource and effort is made in thinking about recruitment. Yes, I mean, I'm used to it now. You know, what's interesting when you meet a new client, I'll say, how long have you been recruiting for? And he'll go, oh, four weeks. And I'll say, well, why are we talking then? And go, I haven't, you know, really found it that easy. And I'll say, well, what have you done? And he'll go, well, I've put an advert on LinkedIn. Yeah. And you think, oh, well, <laughs> all right. Maybe that's your problem then. I've reached out to my network. Yes. That, we've got to cover that in the book. Come on, part one then, The Deadly Sins. So, which actually is a separate white paper, isn't it? But your first one... So, yeah. So the, I'll just give you the quick story of where the book came from. The book's an amalgamation of some content I've written in the past. And also, I copped lucky. I'd always wanted to write the book. Do you know, can you remember, it was a couple of summers ago, I got stuck in Mallorca Airport. No. got stuck in Mallorca Airport. There were flights home, but there was only two seats and there was three of us. Right. So you so, have to Isabel in, in Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent about 30-something hours in Mallorca Airport sitting on the floor on my iPad. Right. And that was where most of the book got written. Fair enough. So the first bit is like a little analysis of the deadly sins. The first bit, number one, sins of sales recruitment, is what I call the Rolodex Hunter. Yeah, Mike, I just want someone with some contacts in the market. You got it. What do you reckon? I mean, what do I reckon? You know, we're going to be... 
it's difficult this because because I like to fall out with some of the content of the book, but I'm not going to be able to fall out with any of it. Um, <laughs> but I'm not though, am I? But you know, the minute a client says, oh, "Actually, Mike, yeah, I want someone with the contacts in the market," it just says loads of things. One, you're miles behind your number. You know, you have, your only strategy is hiring people that have got a Rolodex of contacts to hire that, to speak to. Just why? Why would you do that? Why would you, the information is so easy to find? I want somebody who can bring a black book of contacts. The moment they say it, and worse still, it's even worse when they say it to a candidate, what clients can you bring with you? Yeah, any sensible. I mean, any sensible, oh my God. Any sensible candidate's going to walk out the door. It's the most I mean, moronic I mean, the flip thing. side of it's true, actually. Sometimes you get these candidates who go, well, I've got a really good network I can take with me to any company. They're idiots. Yeah, straight up. Any candidate that says that is an idiot, do not hire them. Don't hire them, completely agree. And to, to all the candidates you know, that will be listening to this, any client that says, what contacts have you got that you can bring with me? Forget it. Don't work there. No. Don't work there. No. Because they're not hiring you for skill. They're not hiring you for you. They're not hiring you because they think, oh, you could do a job here because your sales process is like our sales process. They're not hiring you because you can come and work here and have a great career. They're hiring no. you because they're desperate for numbers and they need somebody to walk through the door who's got a list of contacts. Well, here's one for you, though, Johnny Wright. So I've got 10,000 contacts in my phone. I think somebody would hire me because I've got a Rolodex contacts. Of course they would. If it all went tits up tomorrow, I got run over by a hippopotamus, you decided, right, I'm just going to go and get a job working in recruitment. You'd piss a job in recruitment because somebody always oh, got a fabulous black book of contacts. Yeah. They'd hire you for your contacts. Yeah, they would, yeah. And they wouldn't, you'd go through the world's easiest interview process. And then what do you think would happen when I got there? They'd say, put your contacts in the CRM system. Of course they would. And then two months later, they go, oh, Mike, you missed your target. Of course they See would. You. I've got your contacts there. Of course they would. The, the whole concept implies so much. It says you're in trouble and you're desperate for numbers. It says you don't think much or do much due diligence about hiring. Yes. So the, it says the hiring manager is making immense, immense shortcuts. And it highlights their sales strategy. My sales strategy is to hire people with a network of contacts. It tells me you've not got any marketing, you've not got any branding, you've not got any general strategy. With no support. No support. Of any kind. It tells me the job is completely shit. Completely agree. And in this market... Well, you, still no, that, though. you still hear that, Oh, yeah. All the time. And what surprises me about the whole concept of the Rolodex Hunter is how naive they are that they think it's a good idea. Yes. That there's no thought as to how that will be perceived when they turn around to somebody in an interview and say, so tell me about your Rolodex of contacts. Firstly, the word Rolodex, Alex is in the corner over here whilst we're filming. Alex, do you know what a Rolodex is? <laughs> His answer for those, obviously, is old school. It immediately delayed, even a black book. Yeah, what was it a black just, book? It just dates you as a human being. Well, it, it, dates says, as, it dates you as a sales thinker, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the words, exactly the words I was looking for. Mm. And what I tend to find is the smart candidates run unless there's two reasons. One, they can't get a job and they're shit. Yes. So I'm dealing with a candidate at the moment who is elderly and he's knackered. He's a good salesman, actually. He's not bad, but he's in trouble. Yeah. He's blown it a little bit. He'll sell his black book to someone. Well, it's more than that, isn't it? He'll say he's got a black book, and when he gets there, he won't actually have a black book. Because if he had a black book, he'd probably be selling to his black book Correct. where it currently works. Correct. So it's just an awful metaphor. It's retro. It's yesterday's thinking. And it normally says that they're desperate for numbers. Yes, I agree. Completely agree. So the next part is the big spender then. What do you mean by this? Tell us about that. So the big spender is 
for me... As a hiring persona. Yeah, I'm just getting on to the next page, actually. Try to remember what I wrote. So the big spender is somebody who pays massively over the odds in order to solve the recruitment problem. So have you heard of Monday.com? Yeah. So Monday.com, can they sue me for saying they only hire bad... They just seem to hire anybody that will work there, but they pay massively over the odds. When you look at the background of the candidates, you think to yourself, why have you hired that person and paid them that much money? Yeah, I mean, Monday... Are you a mental spender? Are they? Ridiculous. What do they pay on basics? A lot. They're, like, paying uh, a lot. For Uh, what, in reality, let's get this right, is a tick box task management software system. No, it's not, Jonathan. It's, it's a, a CRM work, solution. It's, it's a, a work s- management no, no, system. Because they advertise to me through YouTube. It's a CRM solution that your salespeople will actually use. Now, as my mate Paul Haig, who knows a lot about IT, is the CEO of a cybersecurity company, would say, it's a spreadsheet, Johnny. But, but getting back to the point, <laughs> you know, they are an archetypal big spender. Yeah. It's interesting. There was a guy who got offered a job years ago. Uh, he got offered a job by Oracle. I think he might have gone yeah. to work for Oracle. And um, let's say he was, he was, this is pretty accurate. He was on something like 65 and they offered him 90, something like that. He phoned me up and said, What do you reckon? I said, You're not worth 90, they're overpaying you. You've got to wonder why they're overpaying Correct. you. Correct. It, why are they overpaying you? My issue with the big spender is it's competing on price at the most basic level. It's just wrong. Price competition. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's the, if that is your strategy to be price competitive, that you can always tell a shit job when it's over the market rate. Yeah, it's always rubbish. Because actually, you put it, you referenced it here in the book, actually, on page six. What you're talking about is they're selling to people who aren't in pain. Yes, correct. They're often trying to pick out people that aren't They're in trying pain. to get guys who are in a good job, who are quite happy where they are. Yeah, 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 it can work for me. It's 150K base. And the reality is there's always somebody stupid enough to go, oh, right, 150K base. Go, hey, love, well, I've got myself 150K it's, base. It's interesting because in the current market, 20th December 2021, you can live on that. That's fine. You won't get fired. But what's going to happen on the 20th of March 2022 when the tech stock drops a little bit? Yeah. When the Fed's done three more rate rises. Correct. Well, BOE will do the same. And the, quanti- the, 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 the Fed's done three more rate rises and the, and the quantity of money floating around the economy has tightened up. Yeah. And all of a sudden... And inflation's still ra- sky high. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, the CEO of Asana bought a load of stock the other day. He's an idiot, personally. It, 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 it's worthless. But all of a sudden, these companies on NASDAQ are worth... If you notice, people are starting to look at companies and going, hold on, these companies don't make any money. So Monday, Asana, they don't make money. So... You know, you're on 150K base. The market's starting to get a bit sticky. There's fewer jobs out there. And the big mistake is, and I mean, this is another book. Hopefully, I'll get a few days later in the week to write it. The other issue is when you're on 150K base, it requires an immense amount of personal self-discipline to not live to that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I, I would do that. Clearly. You're the only person on earth who's probably disciplined enough to not do it. Yeah, going back to your big spender thing. So, so sometimes clients will say to me, they'll say, should I pay more? I'll say, no, you should ask for less. You should ask for less or you should alter the features of the job, the branding of the job and the value proposition of the job in order to attract the right people. So one of my favourite clients is a company called ANS. So I'm sure we'll have no yeah. issue with me referencing them here because I think they're an absolutely excellent client. And they pay a certain amount of money. And Not a- massive. Well, it's a good place to work. You know, they're, in a, they're in a good market. But you think about what ANS do. They're in cloud computing. Cloud computing, guys, 9,200 grand. Mm-hmm. ANS pay up to 60K. 
Yeah. But as you think about what happens there is they ask for less, so they don't ask for cloud computing. And why, why don't they pay more is, is a question you should ask. Well, speaks Paul Shannon, Gareth Ainsworth, and they both will say the same thing. Mike, how can I bring somebody on a 90K when I've got all the other salespeople on 60? How, how's that fair? Too right. How's that fair? That's too right. So what they do is they will pay 60, let's say, but actually, let's say you sell something really, you know, crappy like SCADA software. Sorry, all the SCADA guys. SCADA? But they've Does got a job exist? in a minute. They've got a job in a minute. Uh, ANS has a film this that's selling cloud solutions to manufacturing. So if right. you sell SCADA on 60K, what is the move to ANS on 60K actually worth to you? A lot. Because it adds so much value to your career. Yeah, and that's what you're talking about here. Rather than spending more, yes. position the job so that it actually it adds, adds value. value. Create a value proposition yes. of the position. Because you take this guy who's just left SCADA after five years, goes to ANS for four years, he's not worth 60 grand Well, they've very wisely hired a number of people who don't have strict technology sales experience Correct. who have looked at it as a phenomenal upward career move. Yes. And who that's will what walk should through be doing. walls for the 55, 60K base, yes. be grateful for it, and know that it's the opportunity of a lifetime to position their career in their own. And they're surrounded by guys... That's good hiring. Exactly. And they're surrounded by guys on 60K base who are in 200 grand. Correct. So it's not like it's like some nonsense story. You know, it's real. No, that's good hiring. Yeah. Because so, the big, what big spenders do is they attract the wrong kind of people. Yeah, they do, yeah. They attract people who are attracted to big salaries. They attract people who are attracted to big basics. Yes. And, uh, and, that's and, the, and the reality is a lot of those basics, it's a weird one because what I often see is a lot of people on very high basics are often people who've moved year on year and year on year on year and they keep trade. It's a bit like the housing market, isn't it? If I'd moved house every year for the last five years, I'd be living in a million and a half pounds worth of house now. Completely agree. Completely agree. But uh, not because I'm that much more successful. Literally, I'd have just, by nature of the market, I could have just traded up, traded up, traded up, yeah. been left with the same size mortgage. And in the same way, people who they move around a lot, they move around a lot. And every time they move, they get another 10 grand. Every time they move, they get another 10 grand. Every time they move, they get another 10 grand. Before they know it, they're claiming they're 140K basic salary salesman. There's a lot of those in the market. They're going to have a rough time yeah. and when things come so through. So let's say you're on that 150K base, right? And I say to you in March 2022, say, listen, Johnny, what's most important to you, basic, or, or basic salary or OTE? Well, as I've already That's said, you squirm. Correct. As I've already said, most people don't have the self discipline to not live to that basic salary. So all of a sudden, they've got two kids at Sedba. Uh, a pair of Range Rovers on the drive. Two Range Rovers on the drive, a massive mortgage, and a mistress tucked away in a flat in town. Yes. And all of a sudden, they start thinking, yeah, I can't, mate, I can't buy a pint without £150,000 basic We meet salary. those people all the time. All the time. And they're the people that are attracted to those big salary jobs. Yeah. So but actually, often they're people that don't sell much. Let's go on to point number three, which I think is a beauty, the background checker. Ah, yes. Like this. I mean, you've mentioned the main points here, but I still get the background checky thing. And the clients never say, oh, just let me check them out with some people I know, Mike. Yeah, I had one the other week. It really annoyed me. Well, you put a point in your book, you know, GDPR. Massive GDPR bridge. Gigantic. Without realising it. No, I oh, yeah. Don't. I don't think they do. I don't think it doesn't occur to them that the privacy of somebody's job search... Yeah. Is sacrosanct. So, so just explain so, to the audience what the background checker is, what I refer to as a background right, checker. So, so here's where I am, Johnny. So I'm the recruiter. Uh, you're the hiring company that I'm working with. I put a guy in front of you called Alex. 
Yeah. What do you, what do you say to me? You say, oh, I'll tell you what, Mike, I'm just going to check Alex out with one of my mates that used to work with him. Yeah. So then you phone up one of your mates, Sally, and you go, Sally, do you, do you know Alex? And Sally goes, yeah, I know Alex. He's a bit of a loser, actually. Why do you ask? Well, they say that because Alex is in shot. He's a bit of a loser, actually. Why do you ask? And you go, well, because this recruiter sent me his CV. What have you just done then? You've told Sally Alex is looking for a job. Yeah. So if Sally's you smart, complete- she'll go, yeah, he's a loser. And then the next person she phones is Alex. I know of a scenario recently where a company has background checked a guy with his former employer. What a joke. Right? What a on, joke. on the QT. The former employer who had an axe to grind has said he couldn't sell his way out of a paper bag, irrespective of the fact that the guy actually has a very good track record and the P60s to prove it. And the employer who has background checked him has now not hired him. So let's get it right with breached GDPR. Well, we haven't. He has. No, this individual has breached the General Data Protection Regulation. Yeah. Point one. And point two, the other guy has committed an act of fraud. <laughs> he's committed an act of maybe fraud. Maybe the other guy's smart, though. Maybe the other guy has said, yeah, he's rubbish, and now he's going to hire him. No, he was an ex-employee. Yeah, but you get my point, though. You're yeah. telling somebody, you know, if that candidate's half-decent... And the, ca- and the individual well, concerned, the individual who com- concerned who's been background-checked, I know doesn't know. Mad that. And I know he doesn't know that his former employer has cost him his So job. here's the question then, Johnny. So um, when the candidate says, why am I not going to get an interview there? Do you so know it's a HR nightmare. It's a legal nightmare. So here's the thing, right? So it's when, morally wrong. So, so let's say that was my, my candidate. When the candidate said, Mike, why haven't I got an interview there? I'm going to tell the candidate the truth. Yeah. So you're right. I'm not going to lie, for the, background I'm not going to lie for the client. He's background checked you what and, your, form, what, what? and your former employer has pasted you. Yep. Got to tell him the truth. Because otherwise, we're then complicit in the lie. Hmm. And that's a lawsuit. That, yeah. Well, I'll tell you now, if somebody the, did that to me, I would lawyer up. The, the, candidate's, the candidate's right to lawyer up, I think. Yeah. The other problem is the information is very rarely correct. It, it's, Rare, it's, rarely, yeah. I agree with that. Rarely. I mean, sometimes it will be. But a lot of it's just taken out of context as well, isn't it? Because let's get it right. People get fired from places. Let's say... Well, that individual, he left there... Because the culture, I know, was incredibly toxic. So, so let's say, so I resigned to Howard Jackson in 2004. If somebody had taken a reference from Dave Shields in 2006, what would he David would say? have pasted you <laughs> in the same way they would have pasted me in 2000. Rubbish. Whenever. He was rubbish. Yeah. No, oh, 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 I want that bad because I worked there for four years through 2002. Yeah. Are you sure he's not, are you sure he's not any good, Dave? They'd yeah, have rubbish. pasted me. Rubbish. Unbelievable. And then what we've got is the DIY recruiter. Oh, Deadly shit number four. Book. Yeah, I've got to use my own network, Mike. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> how, how long have you been doing recruitment for? Why don't you wire your own garage? Yeah. yeah. It's the same, isn't it? It's, Why don't we do our own accounting? Uh, <laughs> submit the forms to HMRC. Yeah. We should do that one day. Let's do our, we'll, we'll get rid of something. The thing about our accountant is he's good, isn't he? Do you know why he's good, though? Because he knows his job. He's done it before. He's been doing it. Like so we rang him in a meeting, didn't we, on Friday, and we asked him for an opinion on something. Which went bang. And he was r- like a razor. Bang. That's the answer. Razor sharp. The other thing about your DIY, and I think you've, you know, you've obviously got the fact that the, the DIY recruiters, the network's small. You know, clearly that's a problem. And, and that's a problem for me. But I also think to myself, what's the problem of having a small network? The problem with having a small network is there might be somebody out that's not in your network that's better than what's in your network. 
Well, the, the moment you say, I'm going to do the recruitment myself, what you're effectively saying is, I don't really care whether I get the very best person available on the job market for this job. That's the admission you're making. So if I say, right, I'm just going to do this myself, I'm just going to go through my own network, or I'm going to put an advert well, on LinkedIn. you're trying to recruit a recruitment consultant for us, how many people do you have? 10? I don't know any recruitment consultants. I don't like recruitment consultants. Yeah, but how many would you know that you could name? 10? Yeah. 15, maybe? Hmm. Yeah. So... It, it, How many does what people more don't think loads? about, what a lot of hiring managers don't think about, and this is my concern with the DIY recruiter is, it never occurred. I, I think people have no conscious awareness of the fact that there is an available candidate audience that might be right for their job. Yes. And that actually it's their duty as a recruiter to find the very best potential member of that audience that is available at that given point in time and then try and get them to come and join them. That never occurs to them. They just think, yeah, I'll just hire somebody. And actually often, they, it never crosses people's mind. Well, hold on a minute. I know a network. I know guys. I worked at Company X and Company Y. I'll ring one of my old guys. I know of a company at the moment where they've got an interim sales leader who the, the sales leader in question has got uh, the, the, the chief revenue officer is off sick. They've brought an interim in who is, frankly, rubbish, dreadful elderly, hasn't, uh, is missing jobs off his CV, and he is filling vacancies with his old pals. Who are garbage. Who are utter shit, actually. Because garbage hangs around with garbage. Yeah, gar garbage does hang around with garbage. Absolutely does, yeah. And he's doing it because he wants to prove, he, he's, a, I know in this instance, he's angling for the main job himself. Sadly, the guy who was in the job is very unwell. And he is angling to get that job full time. So he's trying to prove, yeah, I can save you money. Literally, he's brought a guy in last week who's 67 years old, who apparently can hardly speak. <laughs> but that's his network. It's his little small network. Yeah, and to be clear about this, what John is not saying here is... It, it, it's it, not it, the age that's the issue. Yeah, it's, you know, your, your network is what your network is, but it's not actually as good as the network gets. Oh, I, I know people... In that market, and this isn't, I wouldn't, for, for various political reasons, I wouldn't engage with that organisation. Uh, I know people who could be available for that organisation who are... Miles at, better. Just, going, oh, just in a different league. But, and the next point I make in the book is that those people who rely on the network for hiring, their network is always forever diminishing. Yes, yes, you have said that, yes. Because we always get older. Yes. People die, they retire, they... They, they go and drive Ubers. They, they do something. Come on then. So let's we, we've spent a long time in your book, which is good at each point. The next one I think is interesting, hiring people we like. Yeah, it's a big one for you, this, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Because I think it's a, the big one for me, actually, and it's a wider subject, but it does cover this, is hire people who can do the job. Yeah, it's easy for me and you to say that, but very few. Uh, I've, I've read here in the book. How get the feedback, though? Um, yeah, so client, what did you think of candidate? Oh, I really like them. Oh, and, then I go, and then I go, why? I've got a lot of them can't answer the question. But what know, happens I is a good feel off them there. You, you get you get what they call I have written it here, I call it the interview rapport building loop. Yes. So you, Mike, are a good rapport builder. Uh yeah, obviously. I'm a pretty good rapport builder. I'm quite good at it. You, you know, you just what get we do for a living. Yeah, it's what we do for a living. So as a result, if I go to a job interview tomorrow. I turn on my rapport building tap. You've got to get on all right with them, aren't you? Uh, uh, yeah, I can get on all right with anyone, mate. Yes. Even if I really dislike them, I'll find something I like about that person and I'll build rapport with them. 
right? So the sales guy goes into the meeting with the sales manager. If he's a half-talented guy, he'll build some rapport. The sales manager sat there thinking, I'll build some rapport with you. So everybody builds a bit of rapport with each other in the interview. Yes. And the rapport building, oh, I like you. Do you know what? I'm going to build some rapport with you. And then the other guy goes, I like you. I'm going to build more rapport with you. And what we've got is this little loving yes. that takes place in a lot of interviews. And we never ask anybody whether we're really good for the job. No, everybody just comes out of the interview going, oh, yeah, great guy. Yeah. Can you do the job? Wow. Must well, yeah. yeah, really like him. Great guy. Loved him. Well, of course you loved him. And then he, you've got, you've then, built rapport with him and he's built rapport with you for an hour. And then you've got, and then, you know, if you ever ask the client, what do you think of the, about the difference in the average order values between what he sells and what you sell? Yeah, that'd be fine, Mike. Actually, they just haven't asked him. No, they've just got on. They've, just, they, they, they've basically gone out and I, hired I themselves. I get a lot with candidates where they'll go, what's the target? And I go, didn't you cover that in your first interview? And they'll go, no. They've hired themselves a new power. And I say, why didn't you cover that in your first interview? Went, oh, I just didn't go like that. What? So the thing your OT is dependent on, you didn't bother covering? Well, it just wasn't like that, Mike. Oh, really? So if the candidates are saying that, the clients are saying that, mm-hmm. aren't they? The clients aren't going, what's your average value? What's your target? What's your P60? What yeah. did you do against your P60? Can I see a copy of your P60? How many yeah. deals did you close? I talk about this a lot later on in the book, which is likability and rapport building is a competency. Correct. 100%. It's a skill upon which the candidate should be assessed Yes. in the interview. Yes. Now, very few people realise that actually one of the core elements of what they should be assessing the candidate on, on a mark out of five or ten or whatever bloody criteria you want to use, but it should be a criteria in your scorecard, I know you were talking about this earlier, should be likability, rapport. All right. And that competency should be ranked as to how important it is. Yes, completely. You know, there's plenty of jobs, plenty of industries. If you sell software to libraries, do you really need to be that likable? No, if you sell it to librarians, they're quite AD. Well, imagine imagine selling CAD software. Yeah, to CAD designers. Yeah, or selling service management software to IT directors. Yeah. Do you need to be likable? No. Probably not. I would have thought so. Probably not, no. It's a competency. It's not a reason to hire Well, you've sold sold legal software, right? How hard is it to build rapport with a lawyer? Well, sometimes it was easy, sometimes it was hard. I found it. It it depended on the kind of law they practised. But as a general balance scorecard. With some of the little, when we did it originally, with some of the little conveyancing firms, these are just monumentally dull sad people sneering at you <laughs> sneering at you when actually you earn twice what they earn with the de- with the degree certificate behind them so actually yeah what's the point in hiring somebody likable to do that job hmm? they don't want they, they don't want to build rapport with you no. so here's an, here's an interesting one for me johnny point number six hiring people who are like us it's a similar thing to the likability thing well i think it's different actually uh, i said this about a big company i said listen all they actually hire are young attractive white people who have got degrees from good universities yeah my, and the guy, he went, Mike, can't say that. I said, well, have a look at all the pictures on LinkedIn. Yep. They're all 25 to 35. They're all white. They're all good looking. They've all got degrees from top universities. Yep. A bit like my, my missus says there's a company in the healthcare market that just hire beautiful young girls. Well, the next point, good looking people. The point being is, I think organisations end up hiring people like them without actually knowing they're doing that. They have no conscious awareness that they've built a culture of people of people like themselves. Yes, completely. And that there's a, there's a whole load of things in there. Well, you've said here, he reminds me of myself a few years ago. Oh, the moment I hear it, I just cringe. Do you know what I want, Mike? I want me when I was 35. Oh, the thing, I think it's more than that. You know, I, I'm getting a little bit, 
I'm not getting woke in my old age, but I am becoming increasingly aware. It's a massive diversity issue as well. I, I, the whole woke thing, actually, that's sort of crept up on me, but I'm all fully on board with it. I agree with it. Yeah. I completely agree with it. So, so Mateline, she's a director at Accenture. Right. Or partner. Is it partner or director? Whatever, whatever the big title is at Accenture. Partner. Well, who knows? And I got talking to her about it when we were swimming. Uh, I met her in swimming baths. Our kids were swimming. So she and I were just started <laughs> chatting, as you do. Like you do. And we got talking about gender and diversity. And she said, but it's difficult though, Mike. She said, because without the guidelines for us to aim towards... People will well, have just been a white middle class company. Correct. People default to hiring people that are like themselves. Yes. And I don't think they do it consciously. Uh, I don't well, think it's, companies it's, do. It's, it, well, what's the problem I, with that? A, a subject so that I'm really into at the moment is bias. Uh, we were talking about rationality earlier. Yes. In the rationality community, bias is a really big part of the conversation. We have millions of biases in our lives. This is a bias. Hiring people who are like us. Is and why a, is that a problem then for you? Well, first, you've got a diversity issue. Secondly, what you're not doing is hiring for skill. I completely agree. You're People not saying, just actually, hire. can they do the job? No. Let's get it right. We've done it. We, you and I both know we've done, made that mistake. Inevitably, yes. We, we've hired people where we've gone, yeah, he's one of us. He'll be all right. Only to find out he wasn't. Yes, because he didn't have the skills to do the job. Jack Dutton. Yeah, funny guy. We thought he'd be great. He still says he worked for us on LinkedIn. That was how much he was actually in real life like us. He hasn't actually had a, a commercial job since. Went to work for his daddy. Yes. In the public. He's a gazillionaire. Yeah. So, come on, then. Let's get into hiring good-looking people, because this is sort of the same. Yeah, because we can talk about... The, 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 there's a whole chapter so on hiring think, people that are like So, us. do you think good-looking people stand a better chance? So, let's say you had a good-looking person and an ugly person. Good-looking person wins, Mike. What about if... Ugly person was five out of five on skills. Good-looking person was three. Good-looking person still wins. I completely agree. End of discussion. And why is that a problem? Because they don't have the skills of the ugly guy or woman. So what's interesting is... Or, or a, them. There's a guy that I know, and to say he is handsome, he's a very handsome man. Absolutely. Yep. If Mrs P left, I might even phone him up. Very, han <laughs> very handsome fella. But actually, I've known him for 20 years. Not quite as handsome now. Losing his looks. So he's losing his looks a bit. And actually, there's him minus 20 years. Well, but a... what didn't he do because he was handsome? He never actually built himself a core base well, of sense. Well, I talk a lot about that. I know, that's what I say, yeah. So what happens is when you're young and you're beautiful, it's incredibly easy to get jobs. Yep. Young, beautiful, articulate people, they just get jobs. I mean, like I was saying about this company that my missus knows in the healthcare market, they've just got a company... And I, the hiring manager, who I know, she's a very bright girl. She went out, looked at the market, very clever, it's Claire, and she's gone, right, I'm just going to hire loads of beautiful people. Clever. Great strategy, well, actually. It's like walking into a set of Hollyoaks, isn't well, it? Well, uh, Hollister. 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 It, it, she, the, my missus says, literally, it's like, the, it's like Hollister. <laughs> and uh, they're young, they're beautiful, they're energetic, they're all up for it, and they're out selling to knackered old NHS CIOs, brilliant. People buy off beautiful people. They just bloody all do. Here's what happens. When you are young and you are beautiful, you get away with a lot. Yes, good do. So if you're a young, beautiful girl, you get away with a lot because men are weak and stupid. Completely agree. Life, sorry, I don't care. You can crucify me for that. Men are weak and stupid. They let a beautiful, attractive, charismatic woman get away with a lot in the workplace. They just do. That's just how the world works. So you get away with a lot. 
then you go out and you see your customers. You get away with a lot with them. You get away with being a bit rubbish. You get away with being a bit mediocre. You get away with being a bit stupid. You get away with stuff. Yes. End of. Then you get the next job. You get a big pay rise. As you get the pay rises and the jobs go up, the skill demand goes up. Mm. But actually, you've been charming people into buying off you now for five, six years. And you don't really need to worry about all that shit on those sales training courses because actually you're so cool and you don't even realize. And often, to be fair to a lot of beautiful people, they often don't realize that the reason they're doing so well is because they're beautiful. They don't. No, I agree. I agree. I'm then not. they wake up at 30, 35 in a £120,000 basic salary job competing with the guy who actually has had it a little bit harder and has worked like hell on his skills. Now, all of a sudden, the game's changed. Actually, what's really happening now is that you're competing with very skillful, very clever, very intelligent people. And you know, the higher the order value, which normally is a reflection of the basic, the less superficial the buyers are. Correct. They don't care. You know, chief executive HSBC, whoever he or she is, do you think he or she falls for a attractive man? Nope. Nope. They don't care. They don't care because you know, they're too clever and they, and they clock it the moment you walk through the door. They clock it as what, what Jimmy Coolin would refer it's, it, it's a power frame. Yes, yes, Beauty yes. Beauty is a power frame Yes, you in know, and of itself. Now, there is a caveat here, which is if you're good looking and beautiful and talented. Right. Woo, we'll stop you there because here's an interesting one then. So that's a killer combo. So one of my connections on LinkedIn is a lady and I put a post up ages ago, a poll saying the beautiful people get job, whatever it was. And she dropped me a note, really attractive woman. And she sent me a snippet that she'd recorded on a phone from a sales meeting. She said, Mike, you just cannot send this to anyone. I don't even show you it. It's just coming to conversation now. And the snippet from the sales thing was the MD telling three of the women how they should have their LinkedIn photos taken. Wow. And she was saying, yeah, my, my, I, I, had, I was unbuttoned in my top a little bit. And she said, I'm just not going to do that. And that's why she left. And I said to her, what was that like for you? She said, I tell you what it was like. She said... How degrading. Yeah, she said it was degrading. She said, the other part of it is, she said, I actually think I'm quite good at selling stuff. I actually think I'm skillful. And you look at track record, she's a good salesperson. She said, but by him doing that, A, it was degrading. And then she said, I'm sat there thinking, what? You only hire me? Because she is very attractive. And these are her words. She said, what? You only, you only hire me because I'm fit. Well, if you only hire me because I'm fit, I'm going to go work somewhere else. Yeah. And there's, you know, let's get it right. It, depending on what your sell is, Hiring beautiful people isn't too bad a strategy. Well, we used to have a client that sold the fashion industry. Correct. Uh, There's an argument that says that's about good culture fit. Well, actually, what they didn't hire, they didn't hire good-looking people. They hired people who were careful about their appearance being right. So you could have been as ugly as a blind cobbler's thumb, but (laughs) but so long as, or a box of frogs, but so long as actually... You were cognizant of to whom you were selling. So obviously I couldn't sell there because I've only got, well, you know, first lockdown, bought four pairs of chinos, five white Hugo Boss shirts, that's all they ever wear. I've got my Steve Jobs polo next. Yeah, so, so, you know, but but point being, but actually they were more subtle than you you being attractive. They were thinking about how you dressed. Yeah, but all of these, they're biases. Mm. And the reality is people make this mistake. Clients do it all the time. They don't realise that it's a complete unconscious bias of hiring the more beautiful of the two candidates. And the amount of times, let's get it right, Mike, you and I do it. If you have got a candidate and you and I both know that candidate is an incredibly good-looking man or an incredibly good-looking woman, you and I both know that candidate will get a job. Yes, but do you know what I do actually with that? 
I'm very clear with the client. Correct. You have to say to the clients, make sure you interview him. Make sure you find out actually whether he's any good at selling. But he's got the skills to do the job. I mean, one of my clients yeah. hired this guy that is roguishly handsome. Yeah. And what well, it's the lady actually, and what she said to me was she said, I had to sit there thinking, can he do the job? 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 Because you can't get away from it, Mike. He's a really good looking guy. And yeah. they sell into a female dominated market. Fair and, play. She, and she's going, can I do the job? What can I do the job? What can I do the job? What can I do the job? Well, that's good hiring, though. Yes, it's good hiring. Because you know, right, customer's going to like you, but... But when it gets to the nitty-gritty... Do you actually have the skills to do the job? Yeah, completely. Do you right. have the skills to pay the bills? So, so Number what, eight, hiring people with uh, no hiring our old mates. You see, I, I'm a bit split on this, Johnny. I don't know whether I agree with you. Because should we ever become friends, having worked together for 20 years... Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 the, the business got split up, you know, went bankrupt, got sued by... All these companies that you're bad in at the minute. Yeah. And then, you know, I went off to be a policeman, which, you know, is what I'm yep. trying to do, you know, become a policeman. December 2025, that's the plan. Yeah, exactly. But then actually, I decided I didn't like getting acid chucked in my face as a copper. Yeah. You set up another recruitment business. Yeah. In green energy. In green energy. Would you recruit me? Yeah. Of course now, I would. Now, would you recruit me because I'm your friend or would you recruit me because I can do the job? I'd recruit you because you're in known quantity and I know you can do the job. So everything that the clients say to you, you've just said you do. Uh, I, yes. Then I know. I trust the guy. He can cut it. Then so they're, the, they're your three points, and then you've labelled them as disaster ingredients. But why have I labelled them as disaster ingredients? Because uh, I don't know. Really, they're quite good. I'll tell you why. It's because if I hired you after you've not made it as a policeman, it won't be because I don't make it because I leave. But anyway, <laughs> I'll make it. What happens is. Because you were good at that job doesn't mean you were going to be good at this job. Well, let's take green energy. Would I be good at green energy? Who knows? You'll hate the green energy market. There'll hardly be any salespeople. The salespeople will be on less money. You're going to be placing wind farm engineers. You're going to be like, what the hell is this? Just because you were good at placing salesmen doesn't mean you're going to be good at placing data scientists in the green energy market. And I think that's where you've hit the nail on the head with it, really. Yeah. Because you do see that. Market to market. There's you know. an assumption. Again, it's a cognitive bias and a mental shortcut. You know, That's the point I'm making, which is... Do you know what it is? It's just lazy. It's lazy. It's lazy hiring. It's just because lazy. It, it's a mental shortcut between these are the skills that I need somebody to have for the job, this is the job, and I'm going to interview against it. It's just a, yeah, 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 can't be like copy and pasting a tender for Leeds Correct. City Council that used for Sheffield City Council. Correct. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll, I'll just go and hire me old mate. He'll be all right. I've worked with him in the past. I know he's all right. Yeah, great. He might have been great at that job. Now, they should interview them. Yeah. If but, you're going to hire an old mate, interview him. Put him in the process. But give interview them, a, them as you have, and hire. And if you're interviewing for skill, and interview say, for the skill. Does he have the, so, let's take the green energy example. Brilliant example. Mike, what do you know about green energy? Nothing. Right, okay. All oh, right, so you've that. not done any research. Yeah. All right, well, I brought you in here because I wanted to help you out and give you an opportunity at the job, but yeah. you don't appear to have actually done any homework before the interview. Uh, uh, what's the breakdown on green energy, would you say, approximately? Don't want exact figures. Correct. Now, that's better hiring. Yeah. By all means, get your old mate into the interview process. Yeah. But hire them. Don't offer them the job because they're your old mate. Interview them. Recruit against the criteria. And if somebody better comes up in the process, hire them. Hire so to be clear, just to make sure we're sticking to the theme of the book, what you're talking about here is that companies make the mistake of hiring a good CV rather than hiring a good candidate. Yes. Now, actually, that comes back to the principle of the client should hire for skills, not necessarily people, yes. which is a distinction. So to expand on it, what, what 
uh, I'm pointing out in the book here is sometimes a CV can land on your desk and it just looks great. The right companies, the right period of longevity. Clients have hired them before they walk through the door often. Yeah. And there's a combination of things. Firstly, some candidates have CVs that are branded. Yes. Oracle, IBM, Company X, Company Y, where the brands create a mental shortcut for the hiring manager. Yes. So you've got candidate X might have worked for brand Y, IBM, as an example, but it's not always IBM. Sometimes it's a smaller company that makes the client or the hiring manager make a mental shortcut. Might be a competitor. The CV looks right. He's worked for three of your competitors and they make this shortcut. He worked there, therefore he's going to be, or she, is going to be all right. And what they do is it does a number of things. It tells your boss they shut up because they look at the CV. It makes everybody happy. Yes. They look at the CV, they go, yeah, great. It makes it easy to abdicate responsibility for the hire, and it's vain. There's a lot of vanity, isn't there, telling you, mate, in the pub that I just hired somebody from yeah, SAP. Yeah, I had a top guy you, from SAP. You also think that part of it, sometimes the reason uh, hire CVs, and you put it here, about silencing the powers that be, is that, yeah, it's not my mistake he didn't work out. It worked for SAP before it worked Of course here. it is, yeah. It makes it easy to abdicate the responsibility. But then don't you think you should hire a good CV? No, you should hire... Because CVs person. don't lie. CVs don't lie. Somebody's five years, five years, five years versus somebody who's no, one, CVs, year, one year, one year. The CVs tell part of the story. Fair enough, yes. Good definition. A CV tells part of the story. Skills tell the rest of it. Well-examined, unearthed skills in comparison to well-defined requirements, they, they tell the rest of the story. But yes, you know, I, I, I've had a, a conversation with a prospect last week who didn't want to interview a candidate that had worked for 15 years for the same company. But the reality is, why has he worked 15 years for the same company? Because he hasn't been sacked. Why has he not been sacked? Because he sells stuff. Yes, I agree with that. End of. It just seems to count against people more than I expect, more than people will expect, I think, where somebody's worked for one company for a long period of time. Yeah, and that's it. You know, I don't know if I've written about that in the book anywhere, but people do make preposterous mental shortcuts. Oh, well, he's institutionalised. I think that is the biggest load of nonsense. Institutionalised. Well, what does that mean? You haven't been in prison. Yeah. Because the IT industry, I think it might have changed in the past 15 years. No. Well, I'll tell you what he's good at. He's good at selling stuff on behalf of his employers. Mm, mm, mm. And if Agreed. actually you sell something that's slightly related and then you examine the key skills necessary, it might just be as a match to the job. Might not be. So, yeah, it's a, it's a funny one because you do see it all the time. The, the whole hiring of CVs, particularly, we, I think it happens more in the enterprise space. Yes. Well, I, you know, I think about the enterprise space, actually, that a lot of the people who work in enterprise actually aren't salespeople, they're just corporate flag waivers. So yeah, I, they're so reps. I, yeah. So I, so I think, actually, the skill is different. There, a lot of them are reps. And a lot of them, they do well in the enterprise space because they know how to work for enterprise software vendors, which in and of itself is a skill. Yes. Actually well, you, knowing how to work inside those companies. Well, you look at a lady we both know who lives in the north of England. Yeah. She's got a stunning track record. Well, she has, she has a job every year. Doesn't seem to stop her getting jobs with really grade A tier one companies. Nope. Because internal recruiters look at her and goes, and they look at her horrific looking CV. And they it's not go, that horrific. She moves about every year and a half. No. An, an annual job move. She gets pay rises each time as well, I reckon. Yeah, she'll be on 150k base somewhere. She will, yeah. 
but she moves every year. Why? Because she knows that she's just part of that enterprise merry-go-round Salesforce, SAP, Microsoft. She's a good case in point, actually, about a lot of these things in sales recruitment because she follows the same manager. Sometimes, yeah. Pretty much always. Yeah. So a manager goes, oh, I'll just hire such and such. The manager works for enterprise companies who can't use external recruiters. Often. So the manager hires someone They've often knows. got an internal recruiter so you where can... you can have any candidate you want as long as it's the one I've just got you. Exactly. So that manager hires an old mate mm-hmm. who's got the right names on a CV. Yep. And she actually puts, I'm hiring around a name. And she's quite an attractive girl. Yeah, I think that helps, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so she gets jobs and she gets pay rises. Yeah. So she she does really well for the big spender. How much does she sells? She'll be somewhere there or thereabouts, I reckon, every year. So what's the problem then? But why is she somewhere there or thereabouts? Because if you give her some... I would imagine if you give her some half-decent accounts and some half-decent leads in a big branded enterprise software company, she knows how to play the internal game to get resource. Yeah. She's, you know, reality is, the weird thing is, in her own way, she's a very skilled performer at working for enterprise companies, playing the game, getting the right resource, getting bid resource, getting the organisation to bid for a deal. I don't think she makes that much of a difference as to whether the deal would or wouldn't have happened. Yes, that's a, yeah, that's a very important definition because actually anybody could have closed the deals that she closes. Yes. Anybody, you know, Honey Price, who's 13, would have had a decent stab at it. But she's a professional conduit. To yes. yes, she's a professional. Maybe that should be a LinkedIn title. A professional so, so here's the next one, Johnny. I can't believe it only had about 10 lines. Running bad recruitment campaigns. Well, the, there's, there's a few different bits, and, uh, and I do expand on it a lot more later on in the book. Uh, it, what I refer to them as, as ill-conceived is what I mean. And what I mean by that is there's two areas, and, and then later on in the book we, we do explore this in much greater depth. The first one is being what I call caught with pants down. What do you mean by that? You're talking about someone resigning. Yeah. Salesman X resigns or salesman Y rings up. Boss, I've got terrible news. Kiss me to the doctors. Blood tests aren't good. I'm going on sick So today. What, what's the answer to that, though? Because the answer can't be. And you're left with a pipeline and you're in a hurry. Well, the answer is, for me, the smart companies are always hiring. Even when they've not got a vacancy, hiring is part of what you're thinking about benchmarking, having an so accurate understanding that, of the, of the so requirements. So let's just define that, though. So client phones you up this afternoon, gives you a brief. Yeah. You say, and then you say, why are you looking, why, why are you hiring somebody? They go, oh, we're not. Because Dave, Dave's got cancer and I'm afraid I'm ready to No, 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 no. But wait, if they're always hiring. No, no, yeah. you miss, I'm, you're missing my point. Go on, then. I'm not talking about briefing a recruiter tomorrow. What I'm talking about is looking at your team and thinking, and being smart enough to know, if so-and-so got pregnant tomorrow and had a bad pregnancy and went off work tomorrow, what would I do? What would I look for? What would be the skills that I would require in that job? What would that vacancy, if you, if you got run over by a hippopotamus tomorrow, what would the vacancy look like? What would I be hiring? So you're talking for? about taking the insurance in the background. About thinking this. all the time, <clears throat> what does this team look like? That's what a foot, you know, we... These people that we put in these very highly paid management jobs, management jobs that pay more than a lot of top-class sports management jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying they've just got an 11-man team with no substitutes. Yeah, if you were the, if you're the, yeah, if you were the manager of Wakefield Trinity, who's the manager at Trin? Willie Poaching, right? 
Willie Poaching. What does Willie? <laughs> but what does Willie Poaching gets paid to do? He's the manager of Wakefield Trinity Wildcats. Willie is sat there looking at his fullback and he's thinking, "Okay, if you got busted tomorrow, what am I going to do? Right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to form a relationship with a championship club where I can send my excess players on loan." Yeah. Willie's always he's, he's a smart guy, so he's thinking ahead. He's thinking. I can send my kids that are a bit too good for academy football. I'll send them to play championship rugby on loan. But equally, if I'm in the shit, I need to know that I can call you and you send me a player. Or I'll play so-and-so at fullback, right? These managers, what they do is so-and-so gets run over by a hippopotamus tomorrow. They ring up the recruits and go, yeah, 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 I just need a guy from one of my competitors. That's a bad recruitment campaign. Oh, I agree. A yeah. good recruitment campaign is in emergency break glass. Yes, I oh, completely agree. Here's my bill brief. Here's my brief. That's what it looks like. Oh, in fact, I went out on the road I, six months ago. I spent a day with Bill just understanding what he did so well as to why he was running that patch so well. That's good recruitment. So when I'm talking about getting caught with your pants down, what I've written here is, salesman resigns or is on long-term sick leave. The manager is left with a handed over pipeline and little time to work it as well as the target to match. HR come up with some CVs and a hire gets made nice and quickly. Problem solved. But it's not the problem solved because you haven't understood the necessary skills to have been successful in the job. And I talk a lot about that later on in the book. So let's talk about doing it on the cheap. Okay. I've broken that into a few different bits. Yes. So the first one you talk about is not paying enough salary. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about, you know, I, I talk about that a lot with, uh, with clients. And I often talk about... You've put here, you're paying 50K, but all your competitors are paying 60K. Uh, if you were my client and you came to me and said, listen, Mike, I'm paying 50K, all my competitors are paying 60K, should I pay 60K? I'd say, I don't know. Should Correct. you should you hire the same thing as your competitors? I don't know. Correct. Are you exactly the same as your competitors? Do you sell in the same way? Do you do the same things? Do you remember that old company we used to deal with? Uh, they got bought by Advanced Computer Software Group. They always used to pay under the market norm. But they always had a value proposition that was better than the market norm. Right. So... I remember going there one afternoon and the hiring manager walking me around the office because we had a big, we had, it was almost a stand-up row in the meeting when he was telling me, yeah, I'm paying 40K. I'm like, he's not going to get anybody for 40K. And he went, come with me. And he's walked me into the office. He said, see those guys over there? Those two people, all they do, all day, search engine optimization. That's it. They don't do anything else. They do social media. They don't do anything. All they do is create stuff that means our search engine ranking is high. Then he walked me around the office again and he said, see this guy here, he does social media. See this guy here, he does uh, marketing. He creates and he organizes webinars. We never have less than 100 people in a seminar. These guys, they're internal salespeople. They get the people from the seminars to turn up as appointments. And there's the sales team. All their appointments booked for them. So what, so what you're saying here is not paying enough salary. Are you saying it's not well, just about salary? You can mitigate being behind salary if your value proposition is right. Fair enough. What do you think about not paying the recruiters enough? I'll give you a really good example of this. So, I mean, market's very candidate-driven at the moment. So we faced a fellow with a software company about four years ago who has been an absolute revelation for that company, a superstar. And we placed him at fee level X. Yeah. And he's done incredibly well. I mean, that company makes profit purely and solely because of him. He has nailed it there. He's now the sales director of that company. Yeah. He rang me the other week and he says, uh, I need your services. I've been promoted. Great. Happy brilliant. days. Happy days. Well done. I'm made up for you. 
And we had an existing trading agreement dating back five years, which is perfectly legally valid. And I got a call from the head of operations, loosely termed HR, the next day. And she says, uh, yeah, you need to do it at 25% less than that, which is well below market rate for yeah. that kind of recruitment In a candidate-driven market. In a candidate-driven Where I've placed your main person. Where I've placed the guy that made the company most money. <clears throat> Reality is, at that fee level, they will get a bad service. I mean, which part of the service they're not wanting to do? Well, I actually said that. You, you said, I'm sure she took that really, really well. Um, but yeah, I've spoken to her again. No, I've not heard from her since. Because I, I said, which part of my service would you like me to remove? No problem. I'll do it at that price. Which bit don't you want me to do? Because I'll give you another example, right? So I've got this... Uh... And what people don't realise... Sorry, Michael. Right, yeah, yeah. What people don't realise when they're beating a recruiter up on fees is they don't realise that you're one of many specs written on... It might be a metaphorical whiteboard nowadays. No, I've got a glass board at home. But you have a real glass board. I, I use OmniFocus. This task management system that sorts me out. It, you're written on a board and somewhere... If that recruiter has got half a brain, they prioritise you. End of. Well, it's, the, the fee thing is a bit more complicated than that. Yeah. Because I've got a couple of clients. Well, there's a, a calculation between fee level and how easy it is to place people. Yeah, so I've got another client. So let's just, uh, the numbers are, are made up here, but um, let's say the average fee rate is 50%. Yeah. Let's say I've got another client that, that, that I charge 30%. Yeah. But I'm the only recruiter there. So my 30%, is worth more than the 50% because as a line item, correct. I'm going to get 30%. It's a mathematical calculation, isn't it? Now, we've got another client who are a low-code vendor. Let's say they're at 30%. They're an absolute epic pain-in-the-ass moving target of a, right. of, of a company. Just nightmare. So actually, whilst they pay about the, uh, about the right amount, actually, it's really hard to get their 30%. Correct. Because, you know, we're like any other salespeople, right? We look at it and go... Yeah, that's the amount of money that I'm going to charge you. Actually, how easy or hard is it to get that? Are you a pain in the ass? Is your brief too narrow? Are you paying too little? Yeah, it's hard uh, work. Well, it's not as hard. It's just impossible work. And, and what people don't realise, you know, you and I have always held a basic mathematical formula. Okay, who's the client? It's this one. How many recruits they got in the frame? Three. Okay, so before anything has happened, it's a three-to-one shot. Exactly, yeah. So that 30% becomes 10%. So let's say it's a £10,000 fee. You've got three recruiters on the go. Okay, so now it's a three-to-one shot. So now you're a forecast value of £3,000. Correct, yeah. On my forecast. 33% chance of filling in. Then I've got a candidate, and he's got four things on the go. Ooh, hold on a minute. So it's now a 12-to-one shot. Yeah. So it's a 12th. What's it worth now? About 700 quid as a line item? Yeah, correct. I've got to get a lot of those line items to get somewhere near to hitting a target. And that's if I'm a half-smart recruiter that works it that way. Most recruiters will just look at it and go, oh, 10%. That client's paying 20. I'll work on that one. Well, the, the beyond that, though, so, so let's say, you, so, so I'm having a, uh, an extension done at, at, at the minute. But let's say the going rate for my extension is 30 grand, which yeah. is not, but let's say it is. If I get a quote from another builder who's going to do it for 10 grand, how bad is the builder going to be? Yeah. So if you're paying, you know... Cheap you, is dear. Well, it's the same with recruitment, isn't it? You can get you you Cheap can do, you can dear. always find a recruiter to fill your job or to try and fill your job at whatever rate you want. Correct. But if you pay rubbish, you can't buy cheap, buy twice. Well, if you, you if you, if you're paying rubbish, you can't ex, you can't complain Correct. when you get a bad service. You're paying ten percent. 
Uh, if you if you can beat up a recruitment consultant on fees, it's because that recruiter is not very good. Yeah. He's weak and he needs the spec. Yeah. So, so, you know, if you're listening to this or reading this and you're paying 10% of your recruitment business that you were... You're with, fucked. Don't complain you're to fucked. me. That you don't, don't complain to me. You're not feeling it. You're fucked. Complain to yourself. There's no way. Any recruiter... Because all that's happening is at 10%, and I, I explained this, why, well, why, why are they doing it cheaper than you? I said, because all they're doing is putting an ad on LinkedIn, and if one of your four favourite recruiters comes back to you, hopefully one of them will have a candidate maybe that will turn up, and they'll send you the CV. But what you're not getting is a proper search in the market. Yes, I am. They do detailed search and selection. No, they don't. They just told no, you that. They they're just lying. They're lying, and you're an idiot. Correct. And that, I think, is a bit of a disconnect idiot. sometimes when you get the somebody in finance or HR particularly involved in sales recruitment, where they're trying well, to beat you up by 5%, and you're thinking, hang on a minute. You're trying to beat me up for £2,000. At the time, over it's £2 million. A, quid. Thank you. That's just commercial stupidity at an epic level. Like the client you've been talking about on this particular example, it's come back to me who the company is now. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to knock 25% off you. They go. They are going to hire somebody who is going to be terrible. Well, their last hire, the last person this company hired on the cheap, on a cheap recruitment fee, is a girl who literally moves jobs every six months. They'll hire another shopper. And then misses them off her CV. She's so bad and she sells so little that she asked her employers for a loan. <laughs> A salesperson who asked the employer for a loan, that's who they hired on those cheap recruitment fees. I did point that out to them. It didn't go down well. So your next part about <laughs> this is you're saying not paying recruiters at all DIY. I mean, we've sort of covered that, really. Yeah. So then your next point here on point 12 is you've said limited search and a strangled service. Yes. I can expand on that. So what I mean by this is where a hiring manager gets in a really small view of the market and a really small prospective sample of candidates. And that happens because, one, they don't have control over the hiring process. Yeah. One, they don't have funds allocated for the cost of hiring. Sometimes it's just because they're stupid and lazy and arrogant. Sometimes it's because they've got a silly process. And sometimes because it's the headhunter does a job on the MD or the CEO. Yes, I think, I think point E is a very good one, actually. Some of the uh, headhunters that our prospects sign up with just amazes me. I don't know if you've ever heard of a company called Software AG. Said that tongue in cheek, because obviously, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if you can remember going back about five years. They yeah. paid somebody on a retainer. Oh my God, can you remember that? And I mean, what an absolute. It was like. Just what a joke that was. This woman held like exclusive rights to SAP Worldwide or something. Uh, Software AG, sorry, Worldwide. It was like. Can you remember that TV show? It was uh, like she was a con artist. Yeah, can you remember the TV show Hustle? Yes. She was like Mickey Bricks. She'd like she pulled off the long con. Unbelievable. But this actually intertwines quite well with price because if I was finding a recruiter to do IT sales recruitment, I'd want to know what their process was. And if you're paying somebody 10%, they haven't got a LinkedIn recruiter. And, no. you, and you can't do the job without LinkedIn recruiter. Because you couldn't afford to do it at 10%. Nope. As a recruiter, you couldn't afford to pay for recruiter licenses and the other tech stack and if you that is necessary on 10% fees. And if you don't have LinkedIn Recruiter, then you've got a limited search and a strangled service. Yeah. And it all sort of knits together. And people don't realise. You know, I'm fond of pasting in-house recruiters. To hell with it. Um, I'm not. I've got a crack in no, there's some real. The well, we know there's some great ones and some bad ones. But what often happens in, in, in the current market is you can't go out to agencies. You've got to work with this person in-house. 
the person in house is unbelievably busy. The triage on that desk is I've got to fill the technical vacancies first and the sales well, vacancies. Like everybody else, they're, they're not daft in house recruiters. They fill the easiest ones first. They fill the easiest ones and they, they? and they put out the hottest fire first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the squeakiest wheel gets oiled. And sales roles are hardest to fill. And sales roles are hard, nearly always the hardest to fill. Yes, always. And they're the most grey and hardest to define from a search perspective. Completely agree, yeah. And the candidates are the most time-consuming and hard to handle. Yes. So what then happens is you're getting a very small view of the market. Mm. You're getting as many candidates as you want, so long as they're the, one, so long as they're the ones that I've got you. Yes. As opposed to a proper search for the role. It never ceases to well, well, I'm blow co- my mind. I'm currently dealing with a Gartner Magic Quadrant top right uh, vendor. Yep. And the internal recruiter there, he's briefed me on a couple of roles. And I said, why haven't you done these sessions? I haven't got time, Mike. And I need to know. I've got a safe I, pair of hands who can pick up with it. and just. I run. said, how much work have you done? It? He said, none. But that's, that's an fine. example of a smart play. They've outsourced the problem to a capable yeah, third exactly. party. And I've got some cracking results for them. As opposed to what often happens is they hold on to it in-house. But they're a good example. So what happened there with in fees? Mike, how much your fees? They're that much. Oh, that's a bit expensive. Okay. Well, d- don't use me there. No, we'll, we'll do it. It's fine. Yeah. And then well, what, th- then the other area is you get this what I call unqualified technical influencer. Well, I'm looking at this actually now, yeah. yeah so you've yeah. got the in-house recruiter that's rubbish, and you do get those. Of course, yeah. You get or, you get, or you get the client like the one I spoke to the other day what, what I was just talking about. Smaller businesses where what I refer to as Mrs. Smith is in charge of all things recruitment. Yeah, exactly. The office manager. She was the I'll office manager. There was no way she was head of operations. She was the office manager. Yeah. And there's phrases they use. I am recruitment. I'm recruitment. All recruitment goes through me. You're fucked. Yes. I mean... And not the recruiter. That's the hiring manager. The moment somebody in your company is saying... All recruitment goes through me, or I am recruitment. Yeah. You're fucked. Leave your job. Get another one. You're you going to get ne- fired for missing target. You, you'll get fired for missing target because you will never hire real talent. Completely agree. And I've had a couple of those. I had one the other week. Somebody who was supposed to be recruitment, in charge of recruitment. Really? Made the biggest mess up of a recruitment campaign I've seen for years. I've, I didn't think it was that possible to do it that badly. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, literally, if you'd written a list of things you shouldn't do next at every stage, she did every single one of them. Preposterous lowball job offer. And what do you make of this then? So silly process for process's sake. Uh, I do see that a lot. Actually, one of our mega clients that we've just had a big placement with, Yeah, I thought their process, I didn't like the idea of their process before, they, um, before we got involved with them. You know, with meeting so many different people. But it actually does work for them, I think, that. Whereas some of the processors... That's not silly process for process sake. That's an intelligent methodology of introducing the applicant to the company and has got thought behind it. Well, well she's hired an absolute megastar, hasn't she? And the way that process worked got him more and more and more excited as he met more and more people in the business. Yes. And actually, the process was designed to make them competitive in the job market. Very cunning bit of recruitment planning. But you could look at it and say it's silly process for process sake. The guy had about nine interviews in four days. Yeah, they whizzed through it, didn't they? They're fast, dynamic. They just got us out of the way so that it went quickly. Well, that's interesting. There was an internal recruiter involved in that. And she said to me, listen, Mike, 
I have to phone you, then you have to phone them. Then can I just crack on? I went, yep, fine, yeah, crack on. Yeah, just get on with it. Well, she cracked on, though, didn't she? As I said to the guy who's now got the job, who's now about to become the VP and is going to do a load of hiring, my, my opening phrase of the call to him after he'd accepted the job was, laziest recruitment consultant in England on the phone. <laughs> you there, we got an outcome. He, did, he laughed and he said, well, he said, sometimes these things happen, but they've done a great job. Mm -hmm. So that's not process for process sake. Sometimes some of the things that people put in, just ridiculous testing and automated this, a lot of it, little silly things like these, you know, people rely on these portals and they create the... The, the ATS. Yeah. So I, I had a client in the healthcare market. They create process for process sake, literally obsessed with the ATS. So the ATS, everything had to happen on the ATS. The ATS had sent millions of emails to the candidates. Yes. But it sets the wrong impression. The candidates sat there, the, the, the a clever candidate. It's going to be, how hard is it for me to get, for me to get um, this a is quote a, out? Yeah, this is a pompous, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Bureaucratic mm. company. And, uh, and you, you can often tell what a company is like to work for. I truly believe that a company's behaviour during the recruitment process is analogous to what the company will be like for the employee when they get there. Yes, completely agree. You see, the companies show their colours as to what they're about in think, the process. I don't think candidates, a lot of candidates don't, don't consciously realise it. Some do. The, the, the top boys do. Well, what well, I was going to say, and all, girls. all the candidates know what kind of feeling they get from a company, though, whether it's conscious Correct. or unconscious. And the really sharp ones go, hmm, it won't be great working there. It'll be bureaucratic and painful. Mm, mm, and mm. that's, for me, that's so, a silly process so, for process. So, so let's talk about how lack of homogeneity or control in the process. Yeah. That's a big one for me. You know I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, I see a big issue, actually, in the fact that when it's a multi-stage process, which most are, and there's a number of different candidates in the frame, which there normally is. And then, the, and you, well, you were mentioning it earlier. You mm. compare the apples with the oranges. Mm. It, it's such, it's simple stuff. That little bit of, this is what we look for in a what salesperson. You, you, you've put here, they're going to get outwitted by a smart recruiter or, or beaten by the professional interviewee. Yes, that's what happens. If you've not got a process that's really, I mean, incredibly tightly defined, mm you will get either outwitted by a smart recruiter who will brief a candidate to get the job, mm. or you'll get outwitted by a professional interviewee, like the lady we were just talking about who moves jobs every year. She's a professional interviewee. She is a professional I interviewee. I bet she is. I bet, I bet if you could video her in an interview, yep. that would be a good briefing video for most candidates. Yeah. She will make... The, there's a, a job a year every year for 10 years on her CV. Nobody will notice it in the interview. She will have everybody looking somewhere else. Correct. She is a professional, world-class interviewee. And that's what happens if you've not got a process. That's what happens. You know, we've got a client that has a, a very stringent process where they do a role play. Yes. Good client, spend good money with us. We love them to bits. That's a good recruitment process. They elicit whether somebody has the skills for or not for the job. It's more than that, uh, that it's a good recruitment process for that reason. It's a good recruitment process because they repeat it over and over they can refine it as they go through Correct. it. Correct. And they know what good looks and doesn't look like. Yeah. Because if you've got... And if you, you don't do what good looks like in that role play, you don't get a job there. Yes. End of. And they're very there, successful. There are certain... They sell stuff. Yep. Yeah. Now, actually, there's an irony on that, which is they are a 
supposed fast moving scale up, but they will struggle to scale with that process because the process is actually too good. Mm, I don't think they'll struggle to scale for that reason. I think actually they'll struggle to scale because their employment uh, strategy is too uh, incumbent on actually hiring really good people. Yeah, well, it's both. It's hard to get a job there and they're too reliant on excessive amounts of talent in comparison to the job itself. Yeah. And the money's being spent in the wrong area. It should be being spent on BDRs, Completely marketing, agree, yeah. and Completely lead. Agree, yeah. BDRs, marketing, and lead gen, and just so have, they can so hire just people. Old so they can hire people who are a bit more mediocre. Yes, they're, they're they're in what we've often referred to in our own business as the talent trap. They are, yeah. So we're talking about failure to keep score yeah, so of if, why and how. So if I got a fifty-year-old sales leader in here now who's been in sales management for twenty years, I said, "How many people you hired in the last ten years?" Most won't be able to answer the question. Completely agree. Loads, Johnny. More than, more, more than you've had up dinners. Well, that's not true, is it? Great. Of those people that you've hired, what's your conversion ratio of hire to success? <laughs> Silence. Completely agree. And actually, I bet if we got some really top guys in here, some of us would say, well, actually, I hired 20 people in the last three years. 17 of them worked out. Five of them didn't. Why did the five not work out? They'd know. Yes. That's the difference. That's why some people really nail it. They're the ones not working on that silly whole gut. Yeah, 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 I had me mates. I did this, I did that. What's your conversion ratio? It's not a complicated question. How many people? Most people, yeah, I'm great at hiring. Yeah, I can get under the skin of them. And And I talk a lot more about this later on in interviewing about some of the stupid things people do in interviews. Measure it, manage it. How many people do you hire? How many of them work out? Therefore, are you any good at hiring? Are you not? Is your hiring game on point? Is it not? You know, Mike, I, I, I've got a little silly obsession in my head that I'm going to try and become a single figures golfer at 50 years old, which is apparently an outrageous thing to try and achieve when you've not played for 30 years. But I've, I've been told by a lot of people it would be an epic achievement. But I, I manage my stats. That's what you do, isn't it? Of course it is, yeah. Well, you not just my scores, but my, my strokes gained, my strokes gained for putting, my strokes gained what, off what, the team. What, what, Am I getting frust- any better? What's more frustrating about th- these people is, I suspect the ones who haven't kept a score on their interview and hiring... Also uh, don't keep score on their conversion ratio in general. If correct. you said to them, how many deals did you go after last quarter? What's the conversion rate? They wouldn't be able, they're the same people that wouldn't be able to answer that. And actually, in reality, they're the same people who probably shouldn't be in those jobs. Correct. Absolutely correct. I've got one client who speaks to me like this. Oh, I hope he doesn't listen. Well, I mean, he might know who he is. There's but, loads of them sort of around that sort of part of Surrey. Yeah, they all talk yeah. Like that, don't but the cracking guy I've known him for ages. And if you asked him his conversion rate from leads to close to whatever it is, he'd tell you exactly. Exactly. He can tell you that exactly. Right. He also happens to be the only person I've ever dealt with in 20 years who has never fired anybody I've ever placed with him. That's interesting. And nobody has resigned to him that I've ever placed to him, ever. Because he gets his hires right. Perfect. He gets them perfect. Fair play. It's amazing. It's an amazing stat, that, isn't it? Yeah. But your point being is he keeps score. He knows. He knows. It'll be written somewhere in a little spreadsheet. Definitely. No doubt about it at all. In the same way that geeky runners keep their running times, geeky weightlifters keep their weightlifting yeah, times. Agree. Because they care. Let's talk about uh, invalid objections. Oh. Yeah, so I think this is deadly sin number 15. Invalid and superficial objections to viable candidates. 
I get loads of these, you know. Yeah. Just stupid objections. Yeah, well, uh, what I want, Mike, is a really top hitter for my competitor. Right, brilliant. Here's a really top hitter for my competitor. Yeah, but he's earned so much money. Why is he looking to leave? Ridiculous. What? Invalid, inviable, superficial objections to a viable candidate. Yeah, what are you on about? Oh, I can't. Uh, no, well, the, the, let's get it right. What's the real objection? The real objection is my job is shit and he won't earn it here. That's another one. So I've got this other client. And he's a client, actually. I do feel the odd role for him, but it just takes ages to do it. Yeah, I'm, and he pays 100, 200. And he'll go, yeah, I want some of earned 200 before. Right, fine. There's a guy that earned 200. Yeah, he won't be able to earn 200 here, Mike, for the first year. <laughs> right, so he's going to step from 200 to 100 with you. Yeah, well, he's not going to take that job. Right, fine. When, when you find one that is going to take that job, give me a shout. <sighs> That's not quite a point. No, it's silly objections. Some clients just come up with the silliest of objections to good quality candidates. I've had one the other week. Uh, I've put four CVs on his desk, won't see any of them. Why? Well, it says account manager on his CV, and it's new business role. But he's a new business hunter. I've interviewed him. He's a new business hunter. No, no, no. It needs to say new business hunter on his CV. You need to forget about this client, Johnny. I'm bitter about it, Pricey. Um, but I do need to forget about it because it's a preposterous objection. Well, they're obviously, they're not a client. No. They're not a client. No. So it's little things. I need somebody who can deal with complex contractual negotiations. I need somebody who can... I think the best point you've got here actually is about order value. Yeah. I think that's the best point you've made here. What if I put, oh, he's a good guy, but he hasn't done half a million pound deal values. Yeah. Right, okay. That's because what he sells is lower order value than you, but actually what he sells is way more important to the clients he deals with. The best example of this, and you know I don't like these guys anyway, actually, are people that sell legal software. Yes. Practice management software. Yes. Really complicated. Touches all parts of the business. Yeah. Massive strategic deal. Yeah. Business change. Everything you could want it to be it is, but its order value is quite low. It's 50K. So will an ERP company that sells half a million pound software look at those guys? No. Should they? Yes. Yes. Because they've got the skills. Yeah, Actually, break it down. Can he deal with the complex contractual negotiation? Yeah. Can he deal with it when shit gets emotional? God, yes. The people he's selling to are deciding between buying a new car, sending their kids to private school, or buying the software. Yeah, completely agree. They're playing for miles bigger stakes Yeah, than, than, your, than your clients, buying half a million quids with the software with other people's money. Completely agree. And so you see that all the time, just silly objections. Oh, well, he... He, he seemed a bit nervous in the interview. Well, has he got the skills to do the job or not? I completely agree. You were talking about somebody the other day who had a bit of a speech impediment. Yes. But he's got the skills to do the job. Definitely. Well, the, cli the client... Of Fair play to the client. The client actually didn't object. It's never been... A, we've never spoken about it. Fair play. The client and I. When I introduced the candidate to CV, I never mentioned it. Why would I? Got a great track record. The client's never mentioned it as part of her feedback at Good all. Good for her. We haven't spoken about it. Good for her. So hubris and general stupidity. Now, here's an interesting one. Is I actually think that salespeople need big egos because it's often the big ego that drives them and it's the big ego that protects them. Yeah, and the job kicks people about. But the ego does get in the way. Yes. So what I, I, I'll tell you what happens here is when we're in sales, sometimes the job knocks us about, doesn't it? It bullies us. If we let it. Sometimes the job's a bully. It is. To some people, Johnny, yeah. Yeah. To some people, it's a bully. So you have 10 years of the job bullying you, being bullied by your boss, the job bullies you every day. Then one morning you wake up and you're in charge. That's what the Purple Circle's all about. Oh, now the Purple Circle's just a, a clusterfuck. 
Um, it's not, it's a, I'm hiring. Check me out, all you people. It's a bit of ego. It's, it's ego, but it's also abject stupidity. So what happens is, and it's interesting, a mate of mine who's about to leave a job that he's been in for 17, maybe 20 years, and he rang me. He, he put, huh, put on the WhatsApp group, boys, my new phone number is. So the boys all started gossiping. Right, what's going on here? I said, I'll tell you now, boys. 24 years in recruitment, he's moving jobs. Yeah, of course he is, yeah. He then rings me an hour later. He says, right, mate, uh, I've been bullied here for 20 years and I'm leaving. But what I did notice was they gave him this false management job a while ago. Mm. And he puffed his chest out like uh, literally. Like a peacock. Yes. When he got this false management job. Because he'd been beaten down for a long time and it made him feel big. Mm. And I, I remember him telling me stories about how he cut this guy up in an interview and told this guy what for and hired this guy and fired this guy. He loved it. Loved it. And I think what happens is people end up in management jobs and as much as they think they're humble, nice people, they become dickheads. Some uh, people do. It, it may, or a dickhead part of them comes out to play. Some people, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it just comes out to play. That little dark corner of their personality comes out to play. Well, you know my favourite client, my lady, who's my favourite client ever? Yeah. She ain't got that. No. No. And what happens is people get drunk on the power of being in a hiring position. And then what they do is they create very convoluted or lengthy recruitment processes, or they become very arrogant in general about hiring. They become arrogant. It's, with their, the way- it's their power trip, isn't it? Yeah, it becomes a power trip. And that, for me, is one of the, that kills good recruitment. That whole power trip of I'm hiring. Well, do you know what happens out. is they do hire people, but they always hire the wrong person. Well, what that tends to happen is it's a very second-rate person thing to do. Yes. And second-rate people usually hire third-rate people. Mm-hmm. That's that, they, they do. They usually hire people who are weaker and easier to manage. You know? Well, you've put here about the fact that they, uh, they, they set out to find holes in a candidate's background. Yeah. Completely agree with that. Yeah. And they're quite very smart-ass comments. So my mum was an English teacher. Tell so- me about the... In- I want you to describe to me the inside of a ping-pong ball without using the word and, but, or for. Stupid interview question. Any half-decent person just walk out. Yeah, but because they're hiring third-rate people, they just because say, their they, egos they'd say, they'd say, no, no, I'm going. Jog on. I'm busy. I'm leaving. Yeah. Bye. But actually, third-rate people, as you're right, they just lap it up and do it. Because they need the job. Yeah. Um, so that it gets ever so silly. So that is the end of part one of Always Be Hiring. Part two is Getting Good at Recruitment, where we go a bit deeper into some of the things we talked about in the previous. So I suggest what we do is we come back next week for the next episode of our single club. Sounds good. Thank you.